John chapter 2, and you say, we were just in John 2 like three hours ago. Well, yep, that's exactly right. So um, I had kind of come up with two directions for, um, for John 2, and uh, so I'm, I'm going to use both of them today, and hopefully that's okay with you. John chapter 2, as you find it, go ahead and stand out of respect for God's word. We'll begin reading in verse 12, and we'll, we'll read down to verse 22 uh, this time, but I want you to focus... Um, on the verse, uh, the, the thought this afternoon is the, about the zeal that we ought to have for God's house. The zeal that we ought to have for God's house. John chapter 2, it says in verse 12, After this he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. And before you think, and you were, if you were in here this morning, and you know I made this point, before you think he's out of control, just pay attention to what he does in verse 16. And said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house the house of merchandise. He stops before releasing the doves and just letting them fly away. I mean, he's under control, which I'm thankful for. This is a good example of how to have righteous anger. Verse 17, and his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, what sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto him, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. I don't want to rehash uh, the message from this morning, but I, I do want to spend some time this afternoon. I won't keep you long, but um, just about the zeal that we ought to have for God's house. There's a famous phrase, and it goes something like this. Elvis has left the building. <laughs> Maybe you've heard that before. Elvis has left the building. I, I don't even know what it meant. I've heard it my whole life. And I guess the craze was so um, chaotic when when Elvis would give a concert, they were so out of control, they were so wanting to be close to him and see him, that in order for people to calm down, the PA announcer would get on the announcer or the announcement and you know on the speakers and say this: Elvis has left the building. In other words, disperse. It's time to leave because if he's gone, there's no reason to stick around. And the title of the message is this, When Zeal Has Left the Building. See, when people lose their passion for the house of God, it won't be long before we're saying, there's really no reason to stick around here. And if we have lost our zeal, we've lost our passion for the house of the Father, then really, what are we doing? I just want to pose that question today. And, and do some introspection and uh, apply it in a few areas, then we'll be done. Let's pray and ask God to meet with us. Lord, we need you. I need you. I pray that you call my spirit now and 
Help me to be, uh, to say only what I ought to say, Lord. I, I don't, I can't do this without, without you. I can't do this in my own strength. And none of us really, this isn't worth it. Any of our being here, any of our time, if you're not present, if you're not moving, if you're not illuminating, we ask you, Lord, to speak to us and work in us. We need it, Lord, this afternoon. And pray that you'd meet with us. Bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It was some years back that I heard about a company called uh, Netline Communications. It's, a, it's an, an Israeli company in Tel Aviv. And they had developed some technology that, that was designed to prevent eavesdropping um, of, uh, among their agents. You know, that, that no one could eavesdrop. Uh, it, was, it would kind of put an end to all radio communications and, and signals, and they, they were trying to protect their, their, their uh, communication, their information, their, their sensitive information. And so um, it was this, they, would, they made a small box, and I'm sure that the technology has advanced at this point because this was some, some years ago, but there was a small box that they would attach to the wall of a building, and it would basically jam the cell phone signals within 100 feet. And I'm sure there are better options now, but this was maybe close to 18, 20 years ago, and it was cutting-edge technology. And I remember then reading about a group of Catholic churches in Mexico that decided they were tired of their services being interrupted by cell phones. So they called Netline Communications and ordered some boxes. They started using them. The, the priests, they were tired of the, of the phones distracting people from the purpose of church. One priest said, those who bring cell phones to church are not committed to God. I thought you would enjoy that. I mean, it's, it's sarcasm. I don't believe that. But another said, it's very distracting to be praying and suddenly hear birds chirping or techno music. I mean, it is distracting. And in case you're wondering, it's illegal in the United States, or we might use it here. So, you know, some people would probably be upset because we, the cell phone has become such a vital part of our lives. And, and I'm not talking about somebody who's on call for work or, or, you know, those situations. I'm talking about people who can't stay off their phones, even in church. And, and just so you know, I see you. So uh, one, man, one man said it could be a marketing draw. He said, cell phone free services, no signal from the tower. Try a higher power, he said. He said, we jam for the lamb. So God is saying, can you hear me now? You know? you know, as silly as that is, if you value God's house, you ought to be willing to protect it from losing its purpose. And it's easy for it to lose its purpose. And Jesus was passionate about protecting his father's house. He goes to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. We looked at this this morning. The Passover is the biggest of the three feasts, the three main feasts. And, and it took place in late March or early April. It was a commemoration of the deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt. And when that, that death angel passed over their homes, if they had the blood sprinkled on the doorposts. And, and what's interesting is, think about it, at this Passover, the one in John chapter 2, the person that the feast had been pointing to for all of those years was actually there this year. He was there and, 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 and he was present. Jesus Christ is the one and only lamb 
that was ever needed. He's the last lamb they would ever really need. So when Jesus enters the temple, you would think that this would be maybe some large announcement, some big sign from heaven and something big happening. But he goes into the temple and what he sees, he's not happy with. There were two requirements for those attending the Passover. They had to bring a sacrifice and they had to bring a temple tax. And, and I under, we talked about it this morning. It wasn't easy to bring an animal sacrifice to the temple, especially for those that had to bring a large animal or make a long pilgrimage. I mean, adding an animal to your trip, can you imagine how hard it would be to corral it or carry it? It would have made it even harder. And not only that, but the offerings had to be without blemish. They were required by Levitical law to bring sacrifices without flaws. And the only way to do that was either to get a trained examiner to look at your animal before you left, um, even though an animal could be injured on the way and now it has a blemish, or um, that costs money to do that, or you go to the temple and buy a pre-approved animal um, without blemishes. And because the sellers uh, knew the people had no other options, they started price gouging. They saw this opportunity to make a profit. The other issue in the temple was the money exchangers. And, and, I, and again, this is repeat, but those who came had a variety of different currencies from different countries to different um, regions. They had some Greek and Roman and Persian or Egyptian currencies. But the only acceptable currency in the temple uh, was the Tyrian shekel. It, that was the Hebrew currency. Anything else would have been considered a defilement. So the money exchangers would set up inside the temple courtyard next to those that were selling the animals and they would exchange money, let people exchange money and charge or upcharge and make a profit from those that needed to exchange their money. So imagine the scene. The, the scene. You've got maybe two million people in a city. You've got hundreds or even thousands of people inside and around the temple. They're all bartering over animals. They're bartering over exchange rates. There's not an attitude of worship. There's, there's nothing about the Father. And to make it all worse, all of this haggling would have been taking place in what was called the court of the Gentiles. And it was the one place that the Gentiles were allowed to come near the temple. They would come near the temple. They wanted, maybe these Gentiles, they're not God's people, but maybe they were seeking the one true God. And they came into the temple, maybe they're curious, maybe they've come to pay or to pray or, or to ask questions, and maybe they're seeking and they want an answer, and maybe some of them wanted to convert uh, and worship Jehovah, but they walk into this scene that looks more like a flea market than the house of God. I mean, do you think that they were honestly still seeking the God of these people after seeing the way they treated the temple? I mean, I doubt it. And Jesus could have just accepted this scene and said, well, this is the way it's always been. But he refused to allow his father's house to be treated like this. And we know the story. He makes a whip out of small cords and, and he takes action. He drives out the animals and says, out, get out. This isn't the way my father's house should be treated. He hits the oxen and I'm not going to even try to do the sound effect again today because it was embarrassing this morning. Um, but he, he hits the oxen, he hits the sheep, um, and he takes the containers of money, he dumps them out, he turns over their tables, and, he, and then he deals with those selling doves. He's not out of control, but he's righteously anger, angry. In verse 16, he says, my father's house is more than a house of merchandise. 
And instead of being about the father, the father's house had turned into, a, into greed. It had turned into profit. It had turned into haggling. It was all wrong. Now understand, it wasn't wrong to buy an animal to sacrifice. That was acceptable. It, it, nor was it wrong to exchange your money for the right currency that was necessary. Jesus is not saying don't do these things. He's saying, since when did my father's house become about something other than my father? You know, this made enough of an impression on the disciples that they were reminded of David's word in, words in Psalm 69. That Psalm of David who had a passion for God's house, who wrote the words, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. That's what David wrote. He longed to build the temple. He, he wasn't allowed to, but he loved the, he loved the house of God and, and, and he had a zeal for the house of God. And the disciples remember the psalm while they're watching Christ take this action. He's cleansing out the temple. And I imagine one of the disciples leaned over to the other and said, hey, the, uh, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. You know, they knew this this. this psalm they knew the phrase and they're watching it happen and so what are some of the takeaways then today well a zeal for God's house can I just I'll say it this way a zeal for God's house is biblical and Christ-like a zeal for God's house is biblical and Christ-like you want to be like Jesus have a zeal for God's house See, the local church is the equivalent to the temple now. In 1 Timothy 3, it says the New Testament church is the house of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And like the temple, a New Testament church um, sits like a beacon and represents God to its community. It teaches and it preaches truth. And like the Gentiles in the outer court, the world is watching us. And, and Satan wants nothing more than to turn what is happening in this father's house right here into something unrec unrecognizable. And it's happened to many churches that once stood strong and did things the right way. But listen, all it takes is for a church to lose its, pur for a church to lose its purpose is for its members to turn it into something that is all about personal interests. That's what's happening here. The, the temple became about personal interest. It became about, you know, here's what I can gain from this. Here's what I get out of this. And it's like judges that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It can happen in churches too. And we need to be a church that has zeal to keep the house of God on the path Jesus Christ has set us on. He's the one with the zeal for God's house. He's the one with the authority to give us our direction. And my question this afternoon, and we'll get into applications, is how's your zeal for the Father's house? I mean, this shows up in many ways. For David, he wanted to build God's house. For Jesus, he wanted to protect God's house. And honestly, we should be about both. We should have a desire to build God's house. And by build God's house, I mean build, uh, build this, this church and, and bring people in and see people saved and, and see them grow and see them become like Jesus Christ. We ought to have a desire to build it, but we also have a, ought to have a desire to protect it. That we're protecting what, what, what God has us doing here. So how do you tell, how do you know if your zeal is not what it's supposed to be? How do you measure are your zeal for God's house. Well, one way is you can, you can tell in attendance. 
Yeah, I know this is the wrong day to talk about attendance. <laughs> hey, I started work on this message uh, before I knew it was going to be like this today. Now, hopefully those on live stream will understand. I'm not talking about bad weather. And I'm not talking about being out of town. I'm not talking about being sick. I'm talking about choosing not to make attendance a priority. See, truth is, our zeal is largely revealed by our attendance. And a New Testament church is meant to assemble. Uh, listen, the definition of the word church is assembly. I mean, that's who we are. That's what we do. That's our primary responsibility. And it's easy to get to the point where you simply tolerate it. You don't come with anticipation. You don't come with excitement. And when, it ha when, when that happens, listen, it won't be long and your attendance will suffer, suffer. And so many people say, well, you know, it's just inconvenient. It's, it's too much to ask. And I've got so much going. I completely get that. I know, I know it feels overwhelming. But I just want to ask you this. Did you watch the Chiefs game last night? You know, 76,000 people in an outdoor stadium in minus 27 degree wind chill. And one guy didn't have a shirt on. I mean, I don't know, I don't even know what he feels like today. But frostbite all over, no. You know, people do what they want to do though, don't they? And unfortunately, and I'm not saying, listen, I am not equating... Um, how we act in church to how the Chiefs fans were acting last night. That's not the point. I'm talking about the commitment to something that you have a love for. And, and if they can do something like that, then we ought to be on a weekly basis committed to God's house. Unfortunately, in many churches, the zeal has left the building when it comes to attendance. How about in giving? I, and I know, uh, don't say uh, that this is all I ever talk about. Can you remember the last time? I, I don't talk about giving much, but, but you can tell the condition of someone's heart based on their giving. The Bible says that the heart, uh, that, 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 that our heart is revealed by our treasure and, and, and what, we, what we're giving to and what we're investing in, it tells our heart. It, so I don't talk about it very much, but, but it is a good measurement. Listen, if you want to know if you have zeal for God's house or not, attendance is one good measurement and giving is another. And I don't just mean, um, are you faithfully giving? Because most people in this room, we do give and we, and we are givers. But I also mean in how we give. Because isn't it easy just to give and not think about it? But every time we give, we ought to think about the fact that Jesus has brought, bought us with a price. And Jesus loves us and he's blessed us. And we have all that we have only because of the gifts of our good father. And when we give, don't do it out of drudgery. And don't do it without thinking. No, give out of a heart of gratitude and worship to a God that has done many things in your life. You know, giving is a reflection and you can tell somebody's zeal by their contributions. And in many churches, the zeal has left the building when it comes to giving. How about in serving? You know, you know a person is zealous for God's house if they commit their time and their ability to minister and serve. And in a church with zeal, it doesn't take arm twisting to get volunteers. 
and you don't, in a church with zeal, you don't have to wonder whether or not they'll be in their, in their place for the nursery that night or in their Sunday school room for helping or, or, or to sing in the choir. Uh, you just know they're going to be there, but for many, and I'm not saying this is an east side issue. I am saying, though, that if we lose our zeal for God's house, these are the kinds of things we're going to lose at east side Baptist Church, and we don't want to lose these things. You know, for many, the commitment level that they have for work or for sports or for their clubs, it doesn't translate to the commitment they have for God's house. And in many churches, the zeal has left the building when it comes to our commitment level. How about in our holiness? I made this application this morning, and I don't want to overdo it, but I don't think we can do it enough. The temple was corrupted. They were, they were motivated by greed. They were motivated by personal gain. And we cannot fulfill our purpose for Christ if we aren't serious about being holy. A lack of holiness will impact our church. But here's a good application, not just in your own life. We all ought to be holy, obviously, but a lack of holiness will, can, can impact our church to a degree that you may be serious about holiness, but if very few other people are, then our church will be affected. And part of our responsibility as a family is to edify one another to godliness. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, we ought to consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. It says, not forsaking the assembling together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, which means encouraging, building up, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Listen, holiness is hard enough as a group that wants to be holy. And we've got a group here, and it's a good-sized group for the weather and, and all that, and it, but it's hard to be holy. It's hard to be right with God. It's hard to stay clean before God. It's hard to be pure before God. It's hard enough with other people helping you, but it's especially almost impossible by yourself. And if you think that you're going to live the kind of life that pleases God and, and, and you're going to be holy without any help, when Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says we're supposed to provoke one another to love and good works, we're to exhort one another, we need this, we need to help each other be what we're supposed to be, then, then you will find out that it's much harder by yourself. The accountability that comes um, is sometimes the motivation we have to do right. And, and I don't think it should always be that way, but, but maybe this has happened for you. It's happened for me. I know that someone's going to ask me how I'm doing, and I want to be honest with them. And sometimes that keeps me on the straight and narrow. To know that someone's relying on me, to know that somebody's depending on me, that accountability is often the thing, the very motivation that keeps us on the right path. Don't let, don't let the small things tear our church apart um, that, when it comes to holiness. You know what? Gossip is sin. It's not holy. So strive for holiness. You know, it, corrupt communication, laughing and making comments that, aren't, that shouldn't be made or innuendos, that, 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 that's not holiness. Strive for holiness. Uh, don't engage in things that would hurt your testimony. Strive for holiness. You know, and the things that, that uh, and we, we ought to help each other in our striving for holiness. I mean, when it comes to offenses, you know, forgiveness is Christ-like. And, and, and so it's a, it, is, it is not a sign of holiness when we refuse to forgive. Strive for holiness. Listen, we're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And yet we want, we, we as a church family need each other. And we can't just like let it go uh, and walk away from it. We need to exercise 
biblical forgiveness. That's holiness. When it comes to holiness for, in God's house, for many churches, the zeal has left the building. And I don't want it to leave the building at Eastside Baptist Church. Religion or relationship, when it comes to either just going through the motions or having a relationship with God, for many churches, it's all about religion. It's not about a relationship. The zeal has left the building. About convenience. Today's a perfect day to talk about convenience. Nothing about being here today is convenient. But worship wasn't convenient for those at the temple. I mean, they had to walk a few days and sometimes in the cold and, and take care and make sure their kids didn't run off the path and making sure some dumb sheep didn't run off the path. You know, it was not convenient, but too often we allow inconvenience to keep us from worship. And I know Sundays are sometimes your only day off. I mean, it's like you, you just want a weekend like your neighbors have. I get it. But is that a good enough reason not to worship the Father? How about Wednesday nights? Man, Wednesday nights are hard. Some of you, you drive an hour, you drive a, a good distance, you get off work, run home, maybe you eat something, maybe not. You got to get ready for church. You jump in the car and, and you barely get here and your mind's not on. I understand it's inconvenient, but is that a good enough reason not to worship? See, don't allow your worship to be limited by what's convenient because in terms of convenience, in many churches, the zeal has left the building. So how do we prevent it from happening here? Well, those in the temple were primarily concerned about personal gain. I mean, if we get down to the root of their problem, they were worried about making money off the animals. They were worried about making money off the money exchange. And they were primarily concerned about what's in this for me. And we've got to remember that worship is not about personal gain. Worship is about expressing the worth of another person. And in our church, in this church culture, modern church culture, most people go into a church thinking, what can I get from this? But that's the wrong attitude of worship. No, when you genuinely worship, you're not as concerned with what you, as what, with what you receive. You're more concerned with what you bring to express worship to the one who deserves it. See, we lose our zeal when we make the Father's house more about how I benefit than what I can bring to express what he means to me. Too many people define their zeal by how much they like music at the church. I'm just giving you an example. And they say, well, you know, I'm not, I don't really like the music program here, or I don't like that song, or I don't like those hymns. But listen, the music isn't for us. The music is for God. It's not about personal gain. It's about expressing the worship of the one who is worthy of it. And too many people allow their zeal to be affected by how church makes them feel. And, and I don't get the feeling that I want. No, our mindset should be how to minister to others and how to lift up our Savior. Not what I gain from it, but what can I give to this to contribute to this? Too many people lose their zeal when they, maybe they feel like they don't belong. Or, you know, but too often the people that, are, that, that feel disconnected are not serving. They're not attending regularly. They don't have a place to contribute. And listen, in order to have zeal, let me encourage you, you must first experience some ownership. 
that you have some skin in the game, that you've invested. Because the more in my life, I think it's true in everybody's life, the more that I invest and contribute, the more zeal I have for, the, for what I'm contributing to. You know, I, I love the house that we have, that we have here in Sioux Falls. I love where we live. I love our house. But, but if you're asking me to be honest, I don't love it like I loved the house we built. Now, we were more than willing to leave that house in Oklahoma and move up here because God wanted us to move here. Um, but, but that house holds a special place in my heart. Why? Because we built it. We invested in it. I mean, I've got blood on the floor in that house. And I have lots of sweat and lots of tears from my wife, but mostly from me. You know, the reason that we love that house, we have a zeal for that house. Now, it's not our house anymore. We've moved on. But listen, that house holds a special place because we have ownership. We've invested, we've built, we poured ourselves into it. And the more involved you get, the more you invest, the, the more that you contribute in a church, the more connected you are going to feel. But when we say, well, my church needs to meet my needs or I'm out. No, that's when you find that your zeal has left the building. We need to remember that the role of Eastside in our lives is not to replace the Father. It's to encourage us to draw closer to the Father don't make it about the programs. Make it about the Father. Don't become attached to a worship style. Become attached to God the Father. I'm not saying a worship style doesn't matter. It does. But don't let that be the defining reason that you have zeal or not. No, your zeal is for the Father. Don't determine your zeal based on the activities for the teens or the programs for the kids. Should we do more? Yes. Could we do more? Yes. Could it be better? Absolutely. But in the end, your relationship with the Father ought to be what drives your commitment to his house. Your zeal for God's house should be traced back to the love you have for the Father. And when that's right, I'm telling you, everything else tends to light up. And as a side application here, the Gentiles were in that outer court watching. And they were watching how, the, how these people called God's people, how they treated God's house. And the world is close enough to see how you treat God's house. It's close enough to see your attitude, your spirit toward God's house. And the world is deciding whether or not they want what you have based on your zeal for God's house. Because, listen, your zeal will not only impact you, it, not, it will not only impact your family, it will not only impact this church, it will impact the world as they observe how passionate we are about the Father's house. Listen, where's the zeal? I, I know we get tired. I, I think about men's prayer meeting on Sunday mornings. And if you think I wake up jumping around, ready to go to men's prayer meeting on Sunday mornings, my wife will tell you otherwise. You know, it, it, I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about, though, being so driven, so passionate that even when you are tired, you don't let it stop you. Has the zeal left the building? On a scale of 1 to 10, let's just, let's just be, you know, let's get down to the practical. On the scale of 1 to 10, let's say that 1 is complacent and a 10 is zealous. When it comes to God's house right now, 
where are you at on the scale? Because you might not be zealous, but you're like a six, you're tolerant. But it won't be long if you stay there long enough that you'll soon be over it complacent. And, and we need to just examine. Jesus took some serious steps because he was zealous for God's house. Where are you on the scale? It's time to find the zeal again. You say, well, I don't know about that. Well, let me start with this. God deserves it. But second, our, our church needs it. And as a church, it would help us to be more zealous. I'm not even saying we're not zealous. I'm just saying we could always be more zealous. But also, the world is watching. So don't let the zeal leave the building. Let's, let's, let's attach our hearts to what is important to God. You say, well, I don't, I don't know if it's really that important, um, except that the Bible says that Jesus died for the church. He loved it enough that he gave himself for it. And if he loved it that much, and I love the Father like I'm supposed to, then I ought to love his house in a very serious way. How's your zeal? Has the zeal of Eastside Baptist Church, has it left the building? It's a good question for all of us to ask this afternoon. Let's ask ourselves and examine and, and seek the Lord where we are on this scale of zeal today. Let's stand together.